What's going on, you rogues, rebels, and renegades? Welcome to episode 68 of the Rogue Country Podcast. I am Mike West. We have an amazing episode for you today. Roseanne Reed has joined us for a brand new episode. She's a returning guest, and she has an album out, Lawside, which just came out on June 2nd. It is phenomenal. You need to go listen to it. We get into that. We also get into she is touring with Steve Earle across the UK and Europe right now, so make sure you don't miss those dates. She is playing York on June 9th. June 10th is Whitley Bay, June 11th, Edinburgh, June 13th, Galway, June 17th, Birmingham, June 19th, Buxton, June 21st, Liverpool, June 22nd, Bristol, June 25th, London, June 27th, Belfast, and June 28th, Sligo, and then June 29th is Dublin, all with Steve L. They're going to be amazing shows. We get into it because I am absolutely gutted to be missing the Liverpool show. We get into the whole thing. I really wanted to talk to Roseanne because she has been balancing being an artist, being a touring musician, being a recording musician on top of being a mother. And two days after we recorded this episode and I picked her brain on how she does it, my little one, my first son, Wyatt, arrived in the world on 26th of May. He arrived early. He was meant to arrive on June 7th, which was why I can't do any gigs in June, which is a fair trade for how goddamn cute he is. But it was amazing to talk to Roseanne before this because, you know, being a musician and having a family and having a baby can change things. But I see so many incredible musicians who are balancing family life and work life so well that it's so inspiring and I cannot wait to get back out there. But in the meantime, I have this wonderful podcast where I get to talk to phenomenal musicians like Roseanne. But before we get into this episode, let's hear from our sponsor. Today, we are brought to you by Pick Print Screen Printing. They're a Liverpool-based, family-run hand screen printing company. And I love these guys. They do my t-shirts. They do the Rogue Country t-shirts. They do Josh Bettis' t-shirts. So if you you need band merch, workwear, business uniforms, club or sports team wears or apparel lines, please get in touch with them. They use eco-friendly inks. It's all done by hand and they're just an incredible company to wear with. I love them and you should go support them. And what is going on in the world of Rogue Country? Well, Jesse Daniels tour is rolling upon us in August. He is going to be playing London on the 14th of August, Swansea on the 15th of August, and Birkenhead on the 16th of August. London is completely sold out. Swansea and Birkenhead are selling really well. So if you want to see this tour, Jesse Daniels' first UK tour, you better get your tickets. Josh Bettis is supporting, and it is going to be a phenomenal three-show run. What else is happening? We are bringing Tommy Prine to Birkenhead on August 30th. It's going to be amazing. Then, you know, we aren't stopping there. We've got two Hank 100 shows on September 17th, one in Birkenhead at the Swinging Arm, one at the Bunkhouse in Swansea. Phenomenal lineups on either side, and you won't want to miss it. Tickets are available at our Rogue Country Linktree, which will be linked in this episode. And we aren't stopping there, guys. Just announced we are bringing the local honeys to Future Yard in Birkenhead on the 9th of November. We've just announced it. Tickets are available in our group. We're going to be doing a wider announcement, but you heard it here first. Grab your tickets for that. They're doing a very limited run, and you will not want to miss these shows. We are so proud to be bringing these acts to the UK and bringing them to Birkenhead and Swansea, places that usually don't get a look in. And we're proud to be part of just this amazing community. So speaking of this community, what else is going on this year the rustic stomp festival is happening in july from the 14th to the 16th the lineup is incredible you know you need to go pat reedy has been hitting uk shores in may and he's coming back in june with a few extra dates he's playing what's cooking in london on the 21st of june the grove in leeds on the 22nd of june and on the 23rd of june he's playing with chris dover and jody davis at the underground in bradford that is rogue approved you know you need to go to those shows 
Burner Band is opening for Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band on 18th of July, and it is phenomenal to see those guys doing so well. I need to get Lewis on the podcast. I've messaged him, but a baby has kind of delayed all future episodes. I'm going to try and do my best to get more episodes out. I've got a Jesse Daniel interview queued up, which will be the one after this, so please bear with me. But let's get down to it, guys. Without further ado, this is episode 68 of the Rogue Country Podcast with Mike West and Roseanne Reed. It's been... Yeah, I literally just checked before I came on because I, I was like, I wonder we, with podcasts and you just lose track of time and when people have been on. But yeah, yeah, the episode that you were on came out in April of 2021 and I thought it was like last year or something. But yeah, it's that's, time's really flown. That's sped by. And as well, that was sort of in the middle. Well, not in the middle, but still sort of pandemic time, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah, that uh, it feels like a different sort of lifetime now, doesn't it? It's, it feels like we're we're sort of through the other side, which is nice, but the actual memories of that time are just so strange. <laughs> yeah, everything's just kind of like blended together, and it's. But you've had an incredibly hectic and productive and amazing two years. Yeah, it's it's been it's been nice in the sense that I've been able to sort of uh, continue either uh, writing or releasing or. Mm. an occasion performing music as well um but mainly just writing and releasing so the the horticulture ep came out uh that was a couple of years ago now Mm. um and that was sort of written mid-pandemic and recorded and so that was never really i mean it's an ep i'd guess you wouldn't really expect to tour it but um it's nice to you know if i do shows now i'm able to play those songs for Mm. for, which is great uh and then this uh, album that's going to come out next month that was a lot of that was written during the, the last couple you know two or three years as well yeah. so um yeah it's it's things have never stopped with the music which has been nice i've been able to keep it ticking over in a sense mm. yeah i think that's the nice thing because also you're a mum now as well that's right yeah <laughs> and i think that was one of the good things i kind of saw about covid one of the silver linings was you know touring is such a huge part of what a musician does but when COVID took that away people found alternate things and you kind of realized you don't have to gig constantly to kind of maintain a fan base or you know maintain some sort of momentum and it's been nice to kind of see people not necessarily take their foot off the gas a bit but you know be a bit more conscious about when they play and especially yeah. having a baby and stuff that's got to come into a factor of you know picking and choosing when you're actually going to gig or record or you know do anything music related yeah for sure it's um i mean i don't think you can you can fully um prepare yourself really for just how big an impact mm. having a baby will 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 make on your your everyday life you know and scheduling and planning you can plan things all you like but you know it's just things go out the window last minute all the time and it's just, you just sort of kind of have to roll with that yeah. um so but i think when it comes to to bigger things uh like touring um yeah i am finding myself now going uh, looking ahead to tours that are uh maybe a couple of weeks long or longer mm. And I go, well, you know, if he's, cause our, our boy's nine months now, mm. he was going into nursery in a couple of months. And I go, well, you know, can I really afford to be away for that amount of time? Mm. You know, it's, you, childcare is, is expensive and it's yep. a big thing. 
Um, obviously, with this tour next month, um, that that's a month long tour. That'll be the longest tour I've done with with Steve Earle. But it's nice because our baby's not a nursery yet. We're able to do that as a family. Oh, so cool! I'm, I'm bringing my my wife and, and little baby with me, which is really nice. But that's it's kind of the only time we'll get to do it that way. You know, it's mm. it's quite a unique uh, experience in that sense. So, um, yeah, it's just. Be, I think when it came to recording the album, it it was quite nice because we I recorded it very locally to where we mm. live. So I wasn't having to be away for a solid week at a time. I could go away for, you know, five or six hours during the day, come back. Um, and, and that worked really well. So um, it's been fine so far. But I think moving forward, yeah, it will it'll become more and more of a challenge to navigate, you know, family life. And yeah, yeah what, what do you choose and how long you're away for and yeah, all that's come. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. And that's one of the things I was excited to talk to you about because obviously I knew you had a baby. I can't believe he's nine months. I, that's gone fast from when I saw it on Facebook and everything. But um, I've got a baby due two weeks today. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. But that's one of the things where, you know, I've been, you know, turning down gigs and clearing my schedule. And yeah. I've even with podcasts and stuff, I'm like, if I can record like four or five in the next like week or two, I can just yeah. schedule them and leave it to run so i don't have to do anything but it does completely change your like whole outlook on things and you know how you will tour and stuff and it's amazing to see you know it's a huge credit to the partner you're with really that they're like gonna you know be there for you and support that on top of you know having a baby as well it's crazy absolutely it's just i mean i think I like to think our, our our other halves know that sort of when when they it's kind of like they know what they're signing up for yeah. to a degree, you know. Um, when uh, when things start, that you know our our schedules are not nine to five. No. And, you know, compromises have to have to be made all the time. So, um, it's it's really nice, as you say, if you've got a partner that can support that uh, and that can accommodate, and especially when a kid comes along which is when you just have to make all sorts of sacrifices anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you need to be a united front at that time. You need to be a team um, because, my God, the, the work that goes into it. Yeah. <laughs> there <it> is the <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> yeah. No, because that's what I'm anticipating because it's even, you know, people have offered me gigs later in the year and I'm like, they're too far away. I, if I, I can do like Manchester, which is an hour away maybe, but if it's anything longer than that, I don't want to risk not being able to come back at the drop of a hat yeah that's it and I, I did the same thing so when i knew fiona was due um we had a sort of t- a due date but you know the plans changed yeah. i was mid-tour with martha wainwright and you know our, our, our plans changed with the the birth um side of things so i said look i'm gonna have to miss the pass the last three four dates of the mm. tour um, because me, my wife needs me at home, and then from that onwards, I'd sort of said to to Ian, who manages me, I said, "Look, the next few months, clear it. Yeah. I don't want any diary." And I'm in a very fortunate position that I can do that because I, for a lot of for a lot of partners, you don't get that amount of time off and mm. time spend at home and bond with the baby. But um, to me, that was just the most important thing, you yeah. know. So just. I'm not one to be away for a week, you know, three or four hours away. No. <laughs> when a newborn, it just it eats up every minute of your day. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. 
in a nutshell, you're right just to, you know, prioritize that for the next wee while. Yeah, because that's the thing. But I think it's the same thing with a lot of stuff in music. There's such an established tradition of how touring's supposed to be and what you're meant to do that no one's really kind of analyzed it in the last, like, 50 or so years because you look at like how tour schedules are now they're the same as the 50s but you read in all the autobiographies all the artists from the 50s and 60s they were on like speed and then they were on like downers and then they were on booze and it's like you can clearly tell that that touring schedule is not meant to work for a human being on like you know sober basically and it's one of those things where you have to look at it and go well you know if they did a week on week off or they only did like friday to monday they did something better how many would have avoided burnout how many would have avoided addiction yeah and it's one of those things where obviously music doesn't pay well but you know there should be a balance and you know you're not killing yourself to try and hit like 20 cities in 20 days because it just ruins a person oh yeah and as you say there's not there's there's only so much the human body is designed to do you know and it's not meant to go for that length of time uh, with with all the travel with all the adrenaline and it's non-stop and um you know it's you, you need breaks your your body needs time to reset um so i totally agree and that's why it's you know that there is as you say still now there's still a pressure there's still an expectation to fulfill a certain amount of touring per year especially if you if you've got an album out or a, you know a, a, any sort of music out and you want to tour it um but I think that's when you sort of, you know, if you can take onus of that and put your foot down and go, well, actually, this is how much I'm willing to commit to. Mm. Um, and the rest is just going to have to, you know, sort of fall where it may. Um, I'm not I, I'm not the sort of person that's going, music is a be-all and end-all for me. It's, you know, yeah. this is, um, I've got family, I've got life. So mm. it's, it's, I'm absolutely just trying to balance those two things. Um but yes, there's, you can definitely still feel that sort of pressure to go, yes, yeah, say yes to everything, you yeah. know, absolutely. Yeah, and there's an, I rem- there was an amazing podcast I listened to a few years back. I don't know if you know the band The Lovely Eggs. Yes. A, yeah, they're a the, uh, punk band, but they're a husband and wife duo. And they had a baby and they were on the Distraction Pieces podcast, Rubius Pips. And um, they talked about, you know, they had a baby and they're full-time musicians. So how did they kind of deal with it? And it was yeah. you know, they, they had like a nanny kind of a friend of the family come and it was just travel lodges and you know that baby toured with them the entire time as a newborn, which is incredible with a newborn, but then you think about I can't remember her name, but you know, the mom to yeah. be not only with a newborn, but then touring as well on top of that. It was an insane listen. It's mad respect to the lovely ex. Yeah, I've oh no, I'll definitely have a listen to that. Just because I mean I do, you know, obviously bad uh, I'm the musician and then you know my partner does uh that sort of nine to five um so she's in a much more sort of uh, stable and uh, you know regular position but um i do have friends that are you know in relationships where they're both musicians the started families and they do that you know mm. they do or they um they, you know they find a way to make it work so they don't have to stop touring yeah and I- I just I remember the newborn days so vividly, and they're just a whirlwind. <laughs> you know, both of you at home full time, you you you're just running on adrenaline. It, you're exhausted all the time, and I just go, how on earth do you do that on the road? Yeah. It's just, um. So yeah, I have a lot of respect for people that do it, but uh, I wouldn't fancy it. Thinking no. back. <laughs> <laughs> 
was. I'm going. I'm glad we were at home. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but with um, obviously going on to touring, you're touring with you know Steve Hale. He's duetted with a uh, Sweet Annie on your first record. How yeah. did that tour kind of come about? Was that because I know he's playing Black Gear and you are as well? Yes. Was yeah. this kind of concocted around the festival and stuff? Um, it wasn't really. That sort of Black Deer fell into place after the tour was confirmed. Um, mm. I've done Black Deer once before a couple of years ago um, and I'd, I'm really looking forward to playing again because it is a great Americana festival. Um, but yeah, that sort of fell into place afterwards. It was basically, my, I mean, obviously I've got that sort of prior relationship with Steve. I've done a couple of his songwriting camps. Mm. He's featured in the first album, which was brilliant. Um and my manager just sort of built on that and uh, sort of went to, to Steve's, the, the guy that represents Steve over here for touring, mm. uh, touring agent over here. And, you know, I, I, I think how these things work, it, it probably it differs from act to act. But, um, you know, I think it was sort of presented as, well, do you need a support? Do you need an opening act for this tour? If so, then how about Roseanne? And mm. that's luckily they gave that the green light you know which is really nice um but it, yeah i think it, it was it was helped by the fact that i've, I've got that prior relationship yeah. and you know he's familiar with what i do and how i work so um yeah i think that definitely helped the, the pitch <laughs> awesome I, I know because i'm i'm furious that everyone seems to be booking gigs in june because there's yeah. you're coming to liverpool with steve because I, I saw Steve, i was like oh amazing and yeah. I was like, oh, I wonder if, like, you know, because I know you have that part. I was like, I wonder if Roseanne's going to be t- opening. And then it was. And I'm yeah. like, I can't go to fucking any gigs in June. <laughs> so, like, to say I'm gutted about missing this is an understatement, but I'm really looking forward to having my baby. And, you know, he's going to be my little headliner for that month. And I'm just going to make him entertain me as much as he can. Absolutely. And he certainly will. <laughs> Believe me, you'll never be short of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> With but with him, um, obviously the tour starts June. I got got to hear June ninth. Your album comes out June second. Was that kind of always the plan, or when that tour kind of fell into place? Was it, you know, I want to try and get the album out before the tour? Well, it. You know what? It was it was pure chance and it was oh, no pure luck. Yeah, that actually we we sort of um, and this. I mean, this album's taken an age to get done. You know, so again, that sort of ties in with. Uh, incredibly it's fallen at just the right time for this tour um but it's taken been at this album for a year and a half you mm. know just with the studio and it's just with scheduling and with you know having a baby obviously it's just put things back but mm. um no it was just pure luck that it, it coincided with the start of this tour which is perfect mm. um just because and i think it probably takes a little bit of pressure off me to do a headline tour as well mm, because, yeah. because I'm going to be doing this for a month and playing to all these new audiences. Um, you know, if I do decide to do a little the headline tour to promote this album, um, then it's nice because I'll have, you know, I'll have hopefully sort of increase my audience through this yeah. tour um, and lay a bit of groundwork there. So, um yeah, it, but it was it was pure chance, which is just thank God, you know, thank God it, it's taken place when it is. <laughs> yeah. No, awesome. And with the album I've been listening to the last couple of days, and it's fucking brilliant. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> the thing that kind of grabbed me on the initial listen of it was it was a perfect like 
to release it in June. So, like to me, when I listen to it, it is a summer album, but it's yeah. not like a summer album of like you know a pie and like a barbecue or anything. But it's one of those ones that I was like, this is an album you listen to like when the sun rises or when you're going on like a drive along like a long yeah. road and the sun shining and stuff. Was it the plan to release it in June because you you thought it had that vibe or? Like when you were kind of constructing the track, or did you think what kind of month you were going to be releasing it in? I didn't, to be honest. It was it wasn't really planned. I think the the priority was always just um, get it finished and take the time you need to to do that properly. Um, I think as a as a finished piece, yes, to me, absolutely, it sounds like a summer album. Totally agree. Um, and I think it's nice. There probably was that sort of thought in the back of my mind the whole time of this should be a summer release because that's when all the tunes going to take place, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's naturally going to fall to um, it's it's going to be a natural time to to tour it and promote it. Um, but yeah, I think it's just it's been a, a happy coincidence that it's sort of it's taken on the sort of atmosphere it has, mm-hmm. and actually it fits really well with coming out in June. Um, so it's yeah it, again just another happy accident mm. with with this record. Awesome, and <laughs> you said you were writing this for around two or three years, so it was kind of written over the pandemic and stuff, and but then it was recorded kind of over a year and a half. Yes, yeah, that's right. Um, it's I mean the the songs I didn't really have a schedule in terms of um after the first album came out, um when when the first when Trails came out I thought I'd love to release my next record within a year mm. a year and a half max and here we are four years later and it's 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 just about to come yeah. out and I go it's, you know obviously things have happened but um no it's um I, I didn't really have a schedule in terms of getting from start to finish um and it's just sort of you know the the, the songs were written I, I think having the time during the pandemic to um to get them written really helped mm. um but yeah it's it's just not you know i don't work to those sorts of schedules yeah just i can't you know and that's why it's taking so long to record as well because i'm going i, I go off in tangents and i get distracted and i you know <laughs> and i think that's you know it's the, it's a gift and a curse having a sort of loose schedule like yeah. that because i go well i can actually just sort of come back to it um which has been nice and you know the, the reason we didn't record it in the traditional sense of having five six musicians in a room together at the same time over the course of a few days was because when we started it was still at the tail end of the pandemic Mm. so there was still a bit of uncertainty and anxiety about having uh, too many people in a room together um so i thought well let's just do this bit by bit you know Mm. add the instruments as and when layer it uh get the overdubs in um and so it's been more drawn out but it's it's worked out thankfully yeah. And did you think that was, you know, a blessing or a curse that it was a bit more drawn on? Because sometimes you can start agonizing over placements a bit more when everything's kind of so fast. It's just kind of what sounds amazing and it's the initial gut feeling. But then, you know, if you can listen to it three or four times over the course of like a few weeks or a month, you can be like, should that be there? Or you start agonizing yeah. over every detail. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm quite fortunate in that sense and that I'm not I'm so far from a perfectionist you know so it was just like I'd, I've listened to and like I can count on one hand actually the things that have changed uh, in terms of the details mm. from recording to actually getting it mixed and mastered because I got most of it 
you know, we were lucky to get some great local musicians on it um, that were just very capable and knew what they had to do. So there were very little um, corrections or things that had to be done differently on it. Um, and I, I'm still a firm believer in try and get it in a couple of takes. You know, yeah. I'm yeah. performing live and um, it's th- I, th- I think that sort of atmosphere and the excitement uh, and what you create in those first couple of attempts you, you can't really replicate that in later takes, no. you know, and, and you can't, you can pick it apart all you want, but um, to me, there's, I can't think of any songs I've recorded that have been improved after changing things around a hundred times and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, shifting it about. So um, they were all done, you know, fairly quickly in that sense, but um, again, it's just been, it's been the scheduling, you know, that's it's taken the time to yeah. um, throw that out to a year and a half. Yeah, no, definitely. And going back to, you know, kind of the expectations of the music industry, it is, you know, a more drawn out process now, especially with an independent artist where you are bringing out an album every year. I saw, because I'm a huge Credence Clearwater fan. Oh, and yeah. They brought three albums out in one year in like oh. the 70s. And it's like, you know, with they had major label back and they, that was, you know, their entire job and entire focus. So it's like, of course, they brought three albums out and you see you know, artists in, like, those decades were just cranking out albums every yeah. year, but that's, you know, even the major artists, like, Adele disappears every fucking five years, she's, like, Pennywise. It's, like, yeah. one of those things where everyone, you know, it has, like, slowed out, and especially, you know, independent artists need to be able to afford the studio time and the musicians, and yeah. it is a longer process now, but I do think the audience ex- respect that, and they are, like, you know, ready to wait however long yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I, I think, you know, it, it never, I mean, it doesn't do you any harm, really, if you've got someone like John Fogarty at the helm and, you know, writing those sorts of, song, sorts of songs. So it's, you know, it's, I think it does, I mean, you're right. I think when it comes to independent artists now, budget's such a big thing, time's such a big thing. Um, and it's not that, in a sense, it's where the industry's changed, I think, mm. quite dramatically over the past few decades. Um, and that it's, you know, there's less scope now, I think, as an independent artist to fully immerse yourself in music year after year and just mm. focus on writing and releasing music because it doesn't, how do you make money? You know, yep. it's, that's all fine and well if your albums are raking in a good amount per year, but most people don't have that now. So uh, you do need to find other ways to you know, make money, stabilise yourself, then write and record the music and and do it that way, uh, and I think it's a much more sort of formulaic uh, way of approaching it now. Um, you know, you get your money together, do you work, and then you can you know, then you can focus on a record. But yeah, um, yeah, very. I mean, it's changed days. You know, since the seventies, definitely. <laughs> yeah. No, but with the songwriting of this album, obviously, like the albums come out now. You're a parent. Yeah. You were writing it before, but a lot of it kind of has that like lens or with them, you know, couldn't wish more for you and things mm. like that with those songs, were they written obviously prior to him, him arriving? And then did you look at them afterwards and go, Oh, it, it kind of fell into place in a more like a way you couldn't even interpret it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I couldn't wish more for you. I think is actually the oldest song on there. Mm. Um, and that was, I think I think a lot of people will interpret it as you know a, a, a message for for our, our son, but um, 
and it is very much so, but it was written on like Hugmanay a couple of years ago mm. and it was, it was more just like a, a, a message for, you know, the people I love generally going into the new year. Mm. Um, but I think now, yeah, absolutely. When I sing it now, I've sung it a couple of times since um, since Brody was born and it's just like, you can feel yourself going, getting choked up because mm. you do, I, I can't, I can't help but think of him now when I sing yep. it. Uh, and that's been a bit unexpected because I've not really had songs that have taken on a new meaning in mm. that way before. Um, but I think in terms of, uh, you know, the inspiration from him and from becoming a parent and that side of things, I'd like to do a completely separate, separate record for that. You know, I'd yeah. love to do like an album of lullabies or that sort of thing that I would, mm. that's right up my street. So, um, Yes, de- definitely a couple of songs on Love Side that are, you know, could be interpreted in that way. Um, but I'd like to do him his own album. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with the writing of this, there was I picked up on a couple of the songs, especially in All I Need, and there was another one where you mentioned yeah. like the world turning or the world stopped in. I think yeah. that's like a theme that a lot of people. Obviously, the pandemic, the world kind of stood still. Was yeah. that something present in your mind when you were writing this? And, you know, as a songwriter, it must have kind of permeated into your consciousness in some way or the other. Yeah, or with the with the pandemic stuff. Mm. Yeah, um, definitely. Well, I, I, I mean, it's obviously it's affected everyone in different ways. but And I think it, it's affected people in, in ways that we we haven't even seen yet, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but as a songwriter, yeah, it's, it's such a... Um, unique and bizarre and and uh, sort of mystifying time where you go god you know thank god i was able to write during that time and Mm. capture the essence of of some of it at least um but you know i I don't think um for me anyway i remember not feeling I, i didn't feel scared too much of the time during during the pandemic my partner did um and I, I think that sort of comes across across in the songs where it doesn't it's not like a fear um but you you still sort of recognize that actually things things just stopped yeah you know and they stopped from and you sort of go god how can you sort of it's not about trying to get that time back but how do you sort of process that yeah you know, just and i think especially as a musician creatively whatever but you know, not having any prospect of touring and making money, and um, you know, it was just a just a very very strange time. So yeah, that that's definitely sort of um, found its way into these songs to an extent. A mm. uh, couple of them in, in particular, you're right. Um, but yeah, just uh, as I say, just it almost feels like a fever dream. Mm. Looking back, I sort of go, oh, what a bizarre time. Yeah. <laughs> mm. No, I'm one of like the opening track is obviously all I need. The yeah. there's a line on that that I was like, like, I was like, well, well done. Obviously, you don't need like <laughs> lots of praise, but it was she don't ever bring me down. She only thinks she does. I was like, yeah. amazing. Obviously, it's so kind of well put. Like, like every relationship has anxieties and you know yeah. pressures and things, and it's just so well captured in that kind of story and song of you know how honest relationships are yes yeah absolutely and i i, I think it's uh, you're right every relationship has those sort of intricacies and 
um, you know, little uh, insecurities. And mm. I think no matter how long you've been together, that's what really gets me. It's I still have moments where I question things and I question um, uh, how how my partner feels about me and is it is it real and is it going to last? You know, and I go, God, it's just, you know, it's just, it's moments. Yeah. Um, and I think you have to sort of work your way through them. And that, the way I do that is through through songwriting. But, um, you know, it's I just find it fascinating. I find it fascinating the way relationships work, especially long-term relationships, yeah. um, where you do have to have that, that trust in the other person. And, and But, of course, you're going to have moments of you question things. Yeah. So seven years in, yeah, I'm still gonna question it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen like a thing on the internet where it's like, um, you know, me on my deathbed with my husband next to me, and it's like, are you sure this isn't a fling? <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that hits close to home. That one does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's and as I say, I, I do think it's. You know, I, I sort of catch myself sometimes and I go, just stop it. Stop being ridiculous, you know. <laughs> Take a breath. But uh, you do, and I think that's, it's just human nature. You have yeah. you have times like that where you're never totally secure. Um, and I think as well, the more time goes on, the more invested you are in that person, the more you've invested into a relationship. So the more there is at stake, you yeah. know. Um, and it's natural to be insecure about that and to sort of have moments where you go, ah, dear, I'm not too sure about this. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm just glad that I'm glad I'm able to sort of uh, filter that through songwriting. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And the album cover with um, your hand and Brody's hand on the guitar yeah. is just adorable. <laughs> oh, thank you. You'll have moments like that as well. Yeah. It is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I can't wait, but I, I don't know if you're thinking the same thing where it's, you know, obviously music's such a big part of our lives, but you yeah. don't want to ever like pressure them into playing or, you know, pick up because you, yeah. you don't want them to like run the opposite direction from it. You want them to kind of, you know, have it as an important part in their lives, but it's, you can't, yeah. you know, sit them down and put a guitar on them and make them stay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I think it's, it's obviously it'll be different for every kid and, as they grow up, they'll they'll discover what they what they like and what they're drawn to and what they're not. But um, I tend to find, you know, if ever if I'm ever sitting there with my guitar, you'll naturally gravitate towards mm. You know, they, they like the noises, yeah. they like the look of it, uh, and they're interested in what you're interested in. Yeah. You know? So I think it's it's good to have that sort of foundational um, uh, sort of approach where you go. Well, actually, this is you know I'm not pushing him in any way. He's just gravitating towards it himself, yeah, uh, and he's getting something out of it. Um, I would be careful. I have to say, we kid around guitars. He had like I had it in front of him the other day. I was playing, and he pulled himself up and he sort of grabbed the bottom two strings, <laughs> and it's a steel string guitar. Mm. And uh, he's got like a vice grip, and he grabbed them and he's trying to play, but he pulled them, pulled them back, and snapped two strings in his hand and asked <laughs> just that moment of horror where you look at him and they go this god has it whipped his face is, yeah. is it bleeding <laughs> but he was fine he just got a fright but uh yeah i just keep an eye on them around your yeah. guitar <laughs> yeah no I, my nephew um had one of my guitars when he was younger and they because they obviously they don't know how to strum so they just pull it up 
as like hard as they can and it's just like oh no (laughs) yeah oh oh the anxiety is something else (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like going back to the album obviously i read um an article i can't remember what website it was on but you were talking about how like you felt more self-assured in this album especially with like your vocals so you pushed them front and center i i really noticed that on like obviously couldn't wish more for you was you know, it's yeah. a very like kind of vocal centric song. Yeah. What was the kind of realization you came through? Was it through like uh, the horticulture EP and things? And obviously, you've been doing this for a long time now, so you just must yeah. have been able to settle into that confidence. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's you know, I think back to Trail. So that was my first experience really of of recording a, a full length album in a studio with some you know some of the best musicians I've ever met around me. Um, and obviously Teddy Thompson producing it. That's quite an intimidating environment mm. to go into, you know. And obviously we did it in Brooklyn, so I'd flown over there, and that's a you know a, a whole sort of thing in itself. So I think everything just felt quite heightened on trails, yeah. um, and I felt not the pressure of being in the studio amongst all those sort of great people, but I think just the weight of it. Yeah. Um, and I sort of felt like, oh, I, I don't really want to push my voice, my, my vocal here, because, God, they're so good, and I want the instruments to shine as well. Um, now, not that the instruments were any less brilliantly done on Law Side, but this time I sort of went in with the, the attitude of, um, I know my voice has improved these past mm. four years, you know, just with the the shows I've done, and obviously, as you see, with the Horticulture EP, and I know I could do it. I know I can sort of, you know, get in front of the mic. And um, I'm not afraid just to sort of embrace the little um, sort of quirks of my voice. Mm. Uh, I think we're, uh, I was a bit self-conscious about it on trails. Yeah. Um, so this time I went, well, just, you know, go in with the sort of um, the hope that actually the vocals are going to be much more prominent this time, um, which is how it's turned out. And I'd, I think... One of the the things that the main differences people will notice between the two albums is you can probably hear the sort of gruffness and the gruff side of my voice on Lost Side, mm. which has sort of been smoothed out to a large extent on Trails. Um, now I really like that side of my voice, and I think that it sort of adds a lot of emotion to the delivery yeah. to the songs. So um, I'm glad that that sort of that part of it has. It hasn't been filtered out. It's just been left to do its thing, um, and I do think it's you know, yeah, that that aspect of my voice sort of lends itself to to these kind of songs. Mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad it's it's worked out the way it has. Yeah, no, it, good, and it makes total sense, and it works so well for the album because you know yeah. I think when you unless you're like a trained singer, if you pick up a guitar and start singing, you know, singing's almost like secondary in a way. Yeah. Um. So it's just you know the voice is the voice, and you don't really try and think about it as long as it kind of serves its function. But then as you start like gigging more, and you realize you have more of a control over it than you kind of thought. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And it's I think that that part of it does come with with gigging and with yeah. doing that many shows. You know, you there's nowhere to hide with with um with the voice and with the guitar. Um. So you just sort of you you do learn on the job. In terms of what your voice can do, what it's capable of, um, and you learn what you what you like about it, and maybe what you you don't want to push so much, yeah. uh, and you take that into the studio. So it, it does just 
you're right. It sort of comes with um, doing regular gigs, um, and yeah, you can sort of pick and choose what you like from from that sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's just you know, as I say, I've, when it comes to my voice, it's um, it's improved a lot over the past four years. Become a lot more confident with it. Um, so it's just it's it's sort of like a, it's a bit of a vindication that actually it's so prominent on on this mm. album. I really, you know, I can put that out into the out into the world and uh, and feel good about it and not feel sort of self conscious. Um, which was part of the worry around releasing trails. I was going, I don't know if you know, I don't know if that vocal's gonna gonna sell it. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm pleased with this one. <laughs> oh, amazing with. The recording of the album, it was more drawn out process, but the instrumentation on it's so cool. Like there's the slide on Shine On, there's the horn section in um, Call of Love, yeah. the, even the accordion in Mona Lisa. Were those kind of the musicians you had on deck or was it you like, when you'd done Mona Lisa, you were like, we need, you know, this extra flavor on top of this track? Yeah, I mean, when it came to the musicians, so again, I left... Uh, the sort of gathering of those musicians to the producer on this album it was David McFarlane that produced it um, and we recorded the album in Perth which is just south of Dundee mm. uh, where I live um, and he you know he's a bit of a stalwart in, in Perth and in that sort of scene and he knows all the musicians there are to know there so um, I sort of said to him well look I'm looking for um, sort of Americana folk musicians ideally mm. Um and he sort of pulled them together. But there are, I mean, obviously there's a couple of obvious tracks on there, like Mona Lisa, Call It Love, where you've got quite a few instruments at play um, and they don't feature across every every track. But um, yeah, he, it was Dave that was in charge of pulling them together. Mainly local musicians. I think actually, the ironically, the, the bordering player mm. on Mona Lisa, we recruited, I think, from... Somewhere in Argentina, I think, with uh, it was just totally, you know, um, on, on the other side of the scale. So um, that was the exception, but uh, yeah, the vast majority are local musicians that Dave Dave knows, and you know, the, the, with the the vocals on the chorus on Mona Lisa with the backing singers, they're all from. Um, like a pub that Dave regularly plays at and he sort of mixes that and called the, the Twa Tams in, in Perth. So <laughs> it, it was it was very much a local affair. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. Has that informed, because obviously Trails was done in Brooklyn over like a relatively short period of time. Yeah. This was done more like closer to home. And obviously like, it's not just the fact that it was close to home, but it's like your second album after so many times and where you do feel this confidence. Has that informed, you know, when you eventually go to make a third record has that yeah. informed how or where you're going to record it next yeah definitely well i mean i think as you say that there are two very different uh, ways i recorded both albums um and i think going from from those experiences the one i preferred was the one that was closer to yeah. home and you know it just far more relaxed across mm. the board um and that's not trying to take away from from how cool it was to record trails the way I did. That was the you know incredible experience. But I think in terms of um, how best I can contribute in terms of vocals, presence in the studio, playing, um, you know, I, I need to be relaxed. Yeah. And I just you know for me that involves 
keeping it fairly close to home yeah. and not having to travel that much and actually being quite familiar with the people in the studio. Um, you know, so, I, yeah, I, I think if, you know, when it comes to a third record, um, it will be more similar to the way I recorded Lawside than, than mm. Trails. Yeah, because I know sometimes, like, younger musicians, if they don't get the opportunity to you know record in brooklyn or something they get that kind of you know it needs to be recorded in nashville or they have like a idea yeah. or like a dream in their head and you know obviously like that's a really nice thing but you know the recording software in nashville isn't much different to you know the recording software they can find oh. in a studio close to home and i think you know it is one of those things where comfort and feeling relaxed will always lend itself to a better album i think yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, when it comes to um, recording in Nashville um, and, you know, those sorts of places, um, it's like you've sort of got to keep it in perspective. Like what is going to get you um, respect and more gigs and more opportunities is the quality of the songs. It's yeah. the quality of the songwriting. It's not where they were recorded. You know, there's so, so many albums recorded in Nashville right now. Um, they're ten a penny, and don't get me wrong, they're fantastic, you know, and the musicians are incredible. But um, recording somewhere like that is not what makes an album. Mm. Uh, that's not what gives it um, sophistication, or uh, that's not what makes it formidable. It's the songs that do that. Um, so I would, I would always advocate for yeah, comfort over, um, you know, somewhere with prestige mm. or you know, perceived prestige you know just uh record where you feel most comfortable where you're familiar with with the people with the place and that's what will get you a great album yeah 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 no it makes total sense well i don't want to take up too much judean things so we'll wrap no, it up i would keep i would keep chatting i'm thoroughly enjoying it but i can hear we kick it off upstairs oh, as well so. oh, <laughs> oh well you know really really good luck with the tour in june i know it's going to be amazing i'm super jealous of what like all the places you're playing i'm good you're playing so close to home and i'm not going to be able to make it but maybe next time on your headline and shows yeah enjoy your bb boy that is that is the main priority yeah if you if you're playing you suddenly hear just a newborn scream and i've stuck my way in (laughs) i can relate to that don't worry There we have it, folks. That's episode 68 of the Road Country Podcast in the bag. Don't miss out on Roseanne's tour with Steve Earle. It is going to be incredible. And make sure you listen to her new album, Lawside, which came out June 2nd. You will not be disappointed. Make sure you catch a Rogue show. Buy some tickets. Keep supporting the things you love and keep doing the things you love. Peace. <laughs>